welcome to Mecca Talks, your access all areas pass to the beauty, business and lifestyle experts we call our community. I'm Kate Blythe, Chief Marketing Officer here at Mecca and your host. In today's episode, I'm chatting to DJ, presenter, author, influencer, businesswoman and professional opinion haver, Lil Ahenkan, better known as Flex Mommy. everyone and welcome back if you've listened before. We're going to get straight into our extremely fun and empowering interview today because there's no one better to hype up Flex Mommy than Flex herself. She is one of the most boundless, energetic, creative forces um, and I just cannot wait to talk to her about everything around self-expression, confidence, creativity, critical thinking. She's a long-time member of the Mecca family too and we are just so delighted that she could give us a bit of time between all of her amazing projects that she's working on to talk about how she is self-made, how she forges a new path for creative thinkers from building brands, starting conversations, entertaining an audience and influencing responsibly. I think we could all use a bit of Flex's confidence, charisma and general zhuzh to head into the new year. Let's do it. Welcome to Mecca Talks. We are so excited to have you here. And we have worked with you many times at Mecca, which I'm going to ask you about today. But also want to know where you are. Where are you? You look at a very beautiful apartment, I think, from what I can see. I'm at home. I wish I could show you a tour, but I live in a warehouse conversion. So it's like a reception dungeon. If you walk too far, two steps to the left, you have no reception. So Uh. we're in my apartment. (laughs) It looks amazing. Is that in Melbourne? In Sydney. Oh, in Sydney. That's the thing. People always think I'm from Melbourne. I give off Melbourne vibes, but fully born and raised in Sydney. I'm trying to convince my best friend to do a little three-month stint, but she's not down. So, unfortunately, I feel like I'm going to be just in Sydney. I think that aesthetically, I have a very Sydney, no, (laughs) personality-wise... (laughs) <laughs> my vibe is very Sydney. Aesthetically, my vibe is very Melbourne. Yeah, well, you can do both. You can have the best of both worlds. Um, you can do both. <laughs> exactly. And listen, you are very much part of the Mecca family. Um, but for those who do not know you, who is Flex Mammy? Tricky question. I feel like the first thing to clarify is Flex Mommy is definitely not an alter ego. I know that people used to think that because when you give yourself another name, a moniker, an alias, one might assume it's because it's like the stage presence. So it's the same person. Lil is Flex Mommy. Flex Mommy is Lil. The only reason why I have the name is because when I started DJing 10 years ago, DJ Lillian wasn't really going to cut it. (laughs) And so I did a round table with my friends. But in terms of who I am, honestly, it depends who's asking. But I am a professional opinion haver, a best-selling author, a DJ, a TV presenter, a radio presenter, a business owner, an award-winning influencer. <laughs> I just do stuff. Oh, you go, girl. <laughs> and and hold on. Who Who is Lil? Is Lil... The, so when we're talking about Flex Mummy, so you have got all of these amazing creative careers. Where did Where did you kind of get it? How did you, Lil get into this world? I know you're saying that you start off with DJing and you're sitting around a kitchen table coming up with a kind of name, a moniker for who you're going to be on that stage. But how did you get into it in the first place? Because it's pretty amazing creative routes you've taken. Yeah, I mean, I was 
19 and I was working in PR um, and social media management, which was cool. But the only reason why I even did that was because I didn't know what I wanted to study after high school because I did like poorly. Um, And I was like, maybe I'll do fashion business. And I did that for a bit and dropped out. And I thought maybe I'll do like business and I did that for a bit and dropped out. And when I say a bit, I mean months, like two months. And then I was doing PR. And at the same time, I was watching this reality TV show on MTV called The Hills. And there was this like boss woman called Kelly Catrone. And she- Oh yeah, she, that was good. <laughs> and she ran a PR agency. And I was like, I want to do what <laughs> she does. You just like pop into work. You like, you, you close deals. And then I started studying PR. I dropped out because I got an, a full-time internship. And then as I was doing that, I was experiencing a burnout and a bit of dissolution from, you know, picking a whole career path based on aesthetics <laughs> and something so superficial yeah. than like... Yeah, and a TV show. Literally! A scripted <laughs> TV show. Anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but then I remember... I thought that perhaps if I just got another fun job that I would have more, I guess, more of the ability to see if like what, what, where the burnout was coming from. And so I became a door girl at a club in King's Cross in Sydney. And then from there, I met these promoters Very cool. who I asked them if I could DJ for them, to which they said, do you know how to DJ? To which I said, all good, yeah. I'll learn. Big question. <laughs> And then I learned. <laughs> and oh my goodness, that's quite a hard skill to learn how to DJ. But presumably you've got the you've got the sort of feeling for a good vibe, which is ultimately <laughs> what you need to be a DJ. You've got to get the good vibe, you've got to get the party going. But actually being a DJ is something that you cannot just press the button, right? You've got to yeah. really know how to work it. Honestly, I feel like any any good DJ feels like it's philosophy, psych- psychology, anthropology, like assessing a vibe. It's all, <laughs> that's why I don't like to do it as often anymore because it's not as fun as it looks. It's actually quite isolating and draining to be controlling the party. And quite stressful, right? If you feel like- Exactly. Yeah. You could ruin someone's night with one song. <laughs> and Yeah, exactly. And now you're like in the midst of the party rather than just at the sort of forefront of the yeah, party, which I love. Yeah, in the midst. And so you went through quite a non-traditional route then in terms of how you are, um, you know, how you've become who you are today, which is I, there's billboards everywhere with you on it. Um, and I get off at the train, there's billboards with you on it. It's so cool. So with all your other kind of multi-hyphenate um, roles in there, what was the first one you said? I quite loved oh, the way you... Oh, a professional you... opinion haver. <laughs> yes, a professional opinion haver. What is that and what does that entail? Well, that's the thing, right? Because I guess when you look at my career, like all of my job titles, career paths, there is, you know, this traditionally creative, you know, well, unconventionally traditionally, I don't know. There's a creative part and there's like a speaking, talking part. Um, and they're split in mm-hmm. two. There's part of me that's like, I'm just here to create a vibe. The other part's like, I'm here to share thoughts, share opinions, share hot takes. And from there, it transitioned into podcasting and radio shows and making my conversation card game, card game business. And I, when people would, would ask me like, what is that? I was like, it's so much more than just having chats. Like I'm a professional at sharing my opinions. I'm a professional yeah. <laughs> at articulating my thoughts. I'm a professional at finding a way to communicate what I'm feeling in a way that you're gonna understand. Therefore, a professional opinion haver. 
Yeah, I love that. It's such a great, such a great way to kind of, you, you know, to move away from that old sort of phrase, the influencer, you're actually a professional opinion haver. And by, by its nature, you're influencing. And do you have like a bit of a, you know, I know you've got a big following, but like, do you have a really engaged community who are kind of asking you questions? They, what, are they giving you the tips of opinions they want you to have? Are they suggesting topics they want you to have an opinion on? Or is it much more organic than that? No, it's way more organic than that. I mean, when I first started on Instagram, it was in that same era of uh, acai bowls, bikini picture type vibe, you know, very Sydney. And as a standard mm -hmm. for myself, I don't like to compete where I don't compare. And so when I knew that being part of it, being a DJ was going to include influencing of some kind, I definitely knew I wasn't going to participate in like health is wealth culture, it wasn't my vibe. And so I had to find a way to quote unquote not compete but still sit alongside these amazing people in a way that I could too be validated just differently and so initially what I used to do is I mean back in those days Instagram was like one-way communication you didn't really talk to people you followed you just acknowledged them and they didn't acknowledge you and I wanted mm. to change that because I was fascinated by the fact that I was growing an audience. I was like, this is cooked. What are you all following me for? And so <laughs> and so there, there definitely was this time or this turning point where I was noticing that I wasn't being perceived by my audience as I was. Like there was like, there was a huge dissonance. I'm like, you're not getting my vibe. I'm not coming across the way that I want to. So let's get to know each other. And so every single mm. day I would post a question box or a, a, I'd pose a question and I would get my audience to answer it and I'd share my answer. So let's say question number one is, do you believe in aliens? Yes or no? And then it's an overwhelming no. Okay, cool. Why, why not? Like what's informing your experiences of that? And it created this really mutually beneficial, um, almost like this like chamber of, of, of osmosis. Like it wasn't just an echo chamber. We were now co-creating this space together, which is so sick. And it's really easy to do that when you have 10,000 followers or like 20,000, but the bigger the audience gets and the more divided the audience gets, it got really tricky because not everyone knows me as Flex the one person, right? It's like they know me as Flex the podcaster or Flex the girl who used to be an MTV presenter or Flex the author. And so I'm like, well, I've got to manage all these micro groups. And that's when it became really um, difficult. Yeah. How do you handle it? I just tried not to overthink it because I feel as though I would like to think it was like a series of really strategic steps that got me here, but it really wasn't. It was just me operating on impulse and comfort and seeking out experiences and interactions that suited me in a way that suited me. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I just do what I can. If I don't have the capacity to chat, I won't. If I have the capacity to respond to every single person's query of yeah. advice or a question, I will. And then that's just the standard I like to set these days. And so what is your everyday like? So you get up, you breathe, you create, but what is like, how do you sort of set the tone for yeah. what you're going to achieve like is it is it pretty free-flowing or are you a structured person who is really thinking about that persona and how to kind of like build that profile no I'm like a free-flowing fairy no structure I don't want to <laughs> do it um, but I definitely have had to be better about that because now I like uh, on so it used to just be me like physically just me doing everything and for the most part mm. it is but now I have you know my in-house agent and my in-house COO and my in-house marketing manager who assists me in getting stuff done and so while I can decide I don't want to do anything for the day 
I have people who rely on me to at least create some some sort of vision to work towards. So on an average day, like let's say Mondays generally, I'm at Cater for the whole day. So it's like, oh, Mondays are ruled out. Tuesday or this Tuesday, I was up at 6 a.m., which is not me. I want to be up at 11 a.m., but I haven't been sleeping very well, and I don't know why. Up at 6 a.m., I cut some oranges. I was on TikTok for three hours. Then I journaled. (laughs) Then I was in emails for three hours. Then when I was on emails, I was also writing a pitch. I was designing some T-shirts. I was looking over contracts. Um, And then I was uh, doing, like, a consulting call. And then just before this, I was like, mm, I'm going to put on some makeup. Should I film it? No, I want a quiet moment to myself. <laughs> then I made some tea and now we're doing this. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. It is like a, you know, a sort of like work, like it's the Flex Mammy kind of ink crew behind this as well, which I think yeah. is so cool. You've actually built this like corporation around all the things that you're doing. And I think that influence is incredible. Um, and so if if somebody said to you, um, like today or you if you were meeting a load of graduates that were just leaving school and they said, how did you make, how did you build the Mm. Flex Army Corp? Um, How did you, how did you take what was an idea and a persona and a DJing gig to become basically an awesome entrepreneurial business? What, What advice would you give them? Here's the best way I can explain it. I knew the reality of what I wanted to do but I didn't know where a job would fit into it. So I knew that I was working mm. in an environment where I wasn't feeling regarded, creatively satiated. I didn't like getting up early, like that's for sure. I hated being like the freaky quirky girl in the office who was like, everyone was like, oh my God, what are you wearing today? You're so crazy. These are all the things I hated, but I'm like, I have to work, number <laughs> one. Um, and again, I don't compete where I don't compare. So when I knew that I was gonna start DJing, I didn't know it was gonna be a real job until I started getting paid for it almost immediately and from there I didn't I knew I wasn't trying to be the best DJ in the world that wasn't my uh, ethos I knew I wanted to make a living and make a career off being a DJ which meant that I had to view what I was doing from more of a business-minded aspect than a creative aspect and when I talk to my fellow creative friends I always make the dissonance that I'm a creative business like I'm a business person who's a creative, not a creative who's a business person. And so I was like, okay, looking at DJing, where do people DJ to make a living? That's where I'm going to go. What is going to attract someone to hire me? I always used to say to people, that I could swear hand on heart that when I got booked for DJ gigs, nobody had ever listened to a mix or seen me play. It was all aesthetics. And so for that, I was like, if I just need to look at the part, then that meant that I, I needed to know that, okay, when you're DJing, make sure you document it, make sure you tell people where you're going, make sure you get the picture, make sure you promote it, because that was, that was spreading the word of me to the world as opposed to, you know, my peers who were like, no, I want to create the best mix possible and, you know, you know, download all these obscure tracks and make sure I'm in the right places. I'm like, but it doesn't matter if nobody's seeing you and your intention is to book DJ gigs. And so it's definitely a mentality thing. I, I find that I'm, I do a good job at reconciling these incompatible truths of knowing what the reality of something is and how I prefer it to be and what steps are necessary to get there. And so I can think in a very logical, sequential way because I understand it's necessary to balance my like dreamy, delusional fairy state. 
But what I'm trying to create is a framework that allows me to be a delusional dream like fairy with consistency. <laughs> well, you're celebrating like true creativity and never letting your your creative spirit be held back by the confines of what is like a normal sort of job. You're actually creating a, a new path, which I think is so, so cool. And I also think it's super interesting for I'm sure lots of people listening today of actually if they're creatives and they want to do something different, they can do it and they can forge ahead their way. And you create some amazing content. And I was watching one of your posts on Instagram um, just earlier today, and it's you experimenting with some incredible makeup. And you know, as we're a beauty business, and you will love the, um, I'm sure the amount of attention that the the team at Mecca put into this the idea of self-expression. I'm sure that resonates with you. But like, where do you get that inspiration from? I mean, the look I'm actually looking at right now, these incredible blue eyeshadow winged eyes. Where did you where did you sort of feel the inspiration around that? Do you know what it was actually? So when I was in high school, I was like a pop punk emo scene girl aesthetically not like the vibe I was quite happy but um I was trying to signal who I wanted to attract in my life so I was wearing plaid and big boots and I just did a cat eye every day like a winged liner that was it that was the aesthetic and then I, you know, become an adult and I don't really experiment much with makeup. I'm like 18, 19, 20. I'm not, I don't think I'm even wearing foundation or concealer. It's just maybe like eyeliner and brows. And so when I was 20 and I started DJing and doing influencer stuff, the first thing I noticed was that I felt like I didn't have enough outfits. Like I didn't feel like every day when I had to get on stage or go to an event that I was presenting myself in the best way because I, you know, I didn't have money like that. I didn't, it just wasn't on my radar. And so I started experimenting with makeup and hair to give the illusion that the look was switching up more dramatically than it was. And so, you know, I think a lot of people start using makeup in a very efficient practical sense i want to cover some redness you know i want to give the illusion of a chiseled face i'm like i just want to look interesting so nobody knows that i'm wearing the same variation of outfits every single day and so then i started looking at actual art and runway makeup and people who whose livelihood is creating beautiful pieces of art on one's face and allowing myself to just again like color in between the lines or outside, but I just wanted it to feel magnanimous. And so I just like, um, like right now, if I wanted to find inspiration, I follow a lot of really alternative avant-garde editorial makeup artists whose intent is not to make the viewer feel like the model looks pretty. <laughs> they just look interesting and memorable and I really like it. And I like, you know, putting on a look when a look when it, when it calls for a look. Like today I'm wearing concealer and blush you know i'm not giving because it's not a day to give yeah. you know but when when the, <laughs> when the night when the night calls for it i'll definitely do a little something <laughs> yeah you'll give it you'll give it who g- give me a few of those names of people that inspire you and inspire this like creativity and it and i and i suppose as well with with beauty being a such a form of self-expression do you think that has really kind of informed your flex mummy um world um in terms of playing up with beauty playing up with your looks has that had an impact so the two names i would definitely give are sean brady an australian sydney-based um makeup artist incredible and isamaya french she is just the best once you google you'll get a taste of it um i mean do you know what i definitely at one point makeup was definitely 
a huge core of what I was doing. That was the first kind of influencing I'd ever done. I was doing Euphoria in 2016, being like, I'm just too much, you know? I just want to do too much every day. <laughs> and I, it was so bizarre because I actually had to stop um, strategically. It was one of the first strategic moves I made because I was ostracizing so many people who wanted to, you know, do the looks I was doing but didn't feel creatively capable. And it was making them actually quite depressed and frustrated. Um, so it was oh. an odd thing because I was like, oh, I thought we were all enjoying this. And they were like, I don't know how to do that. What's that technique? And I was like, oh, it's very simple. <laughs> It's not makeup that is necessarily at the core, but it's definitely aesthetics. I really, really, really feel yeah. so, so strongly that everything could be cuter. Truly everything could be brighter, prettier, yeah. more exciting to look at from buildings to roads, to town planning, to furniture, to faces. Let's just make them more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And what, what kind of products would be on your go-to always have in your bag list? Like other things that you literally, beauty products you literally cannot live without, what would they be? And what is it that makes you go, ooh, um, what makes me go, ooh, do you know what? I'm definitely the kind of person who's attracted to products and not brands, which I think is very interesting. I go where the products are. So my favorite, 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 like I will die on this heel, concealer. I think it's incredible. An orange blush, I feel so strongly about. A high shine lip oil. Not even the gloss, a high shine lip oil with like a little gold fleck. I'm obsessed. <laughs> and to me, if I never, if I didn't have to use any other products, I would just sit and start there. I used to really, really love like eyeshadow palettes, like all of it I yeah. had, I was obsessed with until I started traveling a lot and realized it's so inefficient to carry a palette around. I was breaking shades all the time. It was too much. And <laughs> as I, it's so interesting because, you know, I keep saying that I am quite like a whimsical person at my core, but due to this like life path I've chosen, I've had to learn how to be quite logical and strategic. And so I find that a lot of my creative expression has become really quite um, like, quite considered in the sense where I'm like, I don't want to, like, this is the best example. So I know a lot of my peers who are on social media develop a lot of like dysmorphia or a lot of disdain for the way they look because they're looking at themselves all the time in the mirror, on the phone, people are critiquing the way they look. And what I was finding is that when I was doing these really extravagant looks, I'm like, you don't even see me through this. You see all this beautifully placed contour. Like you don't even know what shape my face is. I haven't even seen what my brows look like. I've not waxed them before. Like I cannot do this. So I was, I've been trying to find the, the gap between allowing my quote unquote natural beauty to shine through by not necessarily having an emphasis on all these things I put on, but more so if I'm gonna put something on, how can it draw attention to these features that are uniquely mine, as opposed to like taking out the bits that make me me in favor of like presenting as this chiseled Instagram face. Yeah, and how do you feel? I mean, it's a really, really big topic, isn't it? About kind of filters and airbrushing and all of the things that actually 
take the real you out of, out of the picture in its entirety. Like, how do you how do you respond to that? And and also, I'm super interested in how you have you know as a as you're putting yourself out there, you're really really you've got confidence. How do you stay feeling confident and feeling really good about yourself when you are showcasing your whole world all the time? Yeah, I'm not really about that filter lifestyle. I totally understand being a woman or a feminine presenting person under the patriarchy and knowing exactly what you need to do to survive, to be seen as one person that's allowed to take up space. The world hates ugly people and the world hates people who don't conform. So I understand the pressure to want to just add a little filter, add a little something that gives you the illusion of being one of the many. And so I totally get it as a tool for safety, 100%. But I think that one thing that's for sure is like, pain and suffering and dislike. And I think we have to challenge ourselves to get really comfortable or to learn tools and skills that make us more able to appreciate how we actually are. I think it actually takes work and it takes a commitment to doing so. Nobody wakes up feeling confident. You make commitments every day to allow yourself and the world to see you as you truly are. And then validation helps and an acknowledgement helps. But for me, I was very lucky to be raised in a very affirming household. My mum took very many strides to ensure that I liked myself. I mean, and she did it in ways that like made me hyper aware in ways that I didn't want to be. Like, for example, I remember she used to have this thing about me wearing earrings. She's like, oh, I just like hate when pretty girls don't like put on, a, put on an earring and, and go out into the world with a full look. I'm like, it's not necessary. She definitely made me learn to walk in heels <laughs> when I was like 13. She's like, it's a good skill to learn. But in the same vein, you know, she never <laughs> she never let me get braces. She was like, these are your teeth. They're really beautiful. Where we're from, that's a sign of, you know, beauty to have a gap in your teeth. So no, I'm not gonna let these wet and beauty standards convince you that you need to change your teeth with my features with my body she's like i know what like what the vibe is here in the west but where we're from a curvy woman is seen as attractive you're so beautiful to me she's like i know what people think and perceive about darker skin tones here but where we're from you have like you're so beautiful and so whether or not i believed it at the time she sounds incredible she's honestly the best like <laughs> she's so cool but whether or not i yeah, believed she it sounds which she needs her own podcast <laughs> whether or not i believed it at 8 9 10 11 12 15 whatever it was instilled so by the time it mattered I was like oh wait like oh I forgot I wasn't the beauty standard like I thought I was cute <laughs> like it's news uh. to me <laughs> and so that really helps a lot <laughs> and do you do you feel like you you know you've got this like such positive mindset and really when you're when you're putting your feelings out there when you're influencing in this in this kind of way and you're thinking about creating dialogue around pop culture, about yourself, about the world. Do you always think, what is the positive way to look at this? Or what is the what is the question I want to pose here, which is really going to have a really healthy debate that isn't going to go down a tunnel of negativity? Yeah. Are these the sorts of things that you're like actively thinking about because it's like a, you know it's basically you it'll, you have a lot of power because you're somebody who people are looking to and having that conversation with so you're very influential to lots of people so I imagine that that is top of mind I used to start conversations assuming that everybody understood good faith debate good faith discussion mm. 
Um, and maybe there was a time in on the internet where you could do that, or maybe in your personal spaces. But the longer time I stayed on the internet, I had to be very mindful and considerate that, number one, not everybody knows your intention. They don't know why you're posing the question. People haven't been made to feel safe about expressing how they feel. People are often on the defense. They don't feel like they're going to be heard if they do come out. So knowing all of these things, I've definitely had to, instead of asking people to constantly share with me, not considering that that might be a hard thing for them to do. I lead by example and I share. And so, you know, when you come to my space, this is what we talk about. We talk freely about what we feel and what we think and why we think that way and what's informed the way we think. And then maybe you stay here for a little while, you now feel empowered to do the same thing. But I definitely definitely used to want to give people verbal permission and say like, you know, you have this conversation with me. And then I thought, no, because I can't guarantee I'm gonna be there the whole of your life to make you feel safe about sharing who you are. So now I lead by example, and I hope that just me continuing to do what I do as I do it is the the non-verbal permission that people are looking for. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting way of thinking about it as well, is that you're kind of like setting the tone for the conversation, but you're also letting people then lead on their own with that. And are there any like particular concepts that are like on on your mind right now? Any of the thoughts that you're having, what are the conversations you want to be having right now? Right now, I want to be having conversations about people. I want to be invited to have a conversation with a person about themselves. I think generally the way that we're so used to consuming media, it's externalizing everything. We're talking about people, about somebody else's ideas, about somebody else's experience, which allows a lot of people to hide behind the ambiguity of not ever sharing themselves. And I think what becomes really dangerous is that you don't learn how to connect with people just by virtue of being around people. It's a series of intentional steps. You have to try, change your strategy with every single person. And it's a gift to be able to share the beauty of vulnerability. And I feel like we're really missing that. Because again, it's not a safe place to be yourself. Like look at the world we live in. Um, And so I definitely find that I just want to, it's not even about inspiring. I just want for people to know that it's important for people to know who they are as they want to be known. And I want to know that eventually we're gonna get to a time where people are like, you know what's more important than what some random person on the internet thinks? What I think. And what's more important than, you know, this um, homogenized truth or the most popular thought, me taking time out to recognize, maybe I don't think that way, or maybe I I don't understand how to inform my belief systems. Maybe I need a support group who's going to help me figure out what I think, as opposed to being like, I don't get it, and then going to sleep. (laughs) I think the way you think about things is so smart, because it's you're having those conversations, but you're having them in a way which isn't judgy. You're really like welcoming everybody into that. And I think that's, you know, we all need to learn from you flex on this because this is this is the stuff that makes a big difference. And interestingly, 2022 for you, was it called the socialite era? Is that how you branded it? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. I was really in denial about how obligated I was to my professional identity and not my personal identity. And I didn't necessarily understand the distinction because I always just thought that my job was just being myself. 
It is in some ways, but it's also a job. And I was realizing that for the last, I don't know, nine, 10 years, I hadn't made any strong attempts to identify what I want to do and who I want to be outside of how I was monetizing my identity. It was like a light bulb moment. I was like, wait a second. I was almost internalizing, <laughs> literally, I was almost internalizing everyone's perception of my life. Oh, it's so fun and you get to travel, and you get to do these things. I'm like, it's true, but it's also a job. I'm just not ever stopping. And so when I was having or reflecting on the kind of life that I want to live, if I had to choose and I could make a wish, I would want to be some kind of socialite, some like full-time headiness that just gets to wake up and enjoy in whatever way suits them. Maybe I'll get up today and do ceramics. Maybe I'll go and write a book, you know, but either way, I'm seeking out what is for me by interrogating me, not by assuming that like, oh, if I don't take this job, it'll be really bad because like, who am I to say no? And I should be so grateful. Get out of there. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I just want to enjoy. I really do. I want to smile every day. I want to laugh. I want to make connections. I want to be vulnerable. I want to feel like every day I'm making core memories. Um, and so the concept of socialite era actually came from a friend um, and he told me that every year he creates themes for his life. And so it, it, he becomes accountable to himself to be like, you know, this year I said the theme was um, openness or the theme was playfulness. And that's what I'm committing to. Do you then manifest where that could take you? Like, would you love to be on the Hills reboot and the socialite era? Like, are you sort of manifesting a whole new like career <laughs> path with your era? No, I wanna be, um, if anything, I really want to be like a socialite in the pre-social media way where you've made really great networks and connections and friends and, you know, you fly to Monaco and like, you, you know, there's a person you haven't seen in five years, but you have an amazing chat and they introduce you to this person. Definitely like a, a socialite in a way that isn't centered around work or the internet or social media. You know, that kind of person was like, what do you even do? And they were like, well, I just got a massage and went to therapy, but I'm not sure what I'll do later <laughs> on. <laughs> Oh, I love it. That is so good. And what is um, your 2023 era going to be, Flex? Oh, I'm still working it out. I'm still working it out. <laughs> Give us a sneak peek. It's definitely, it's, well, the thing about Socialite Era is this year was part one. It was just me recognizing, you know, what was easy about it, what was difficult about it, if I was sustaining it, if I was committing to myself. And there were times where I wasn't doing socialite era. We had a strong Q1, you know, we dropped off Q2, Q3, and now we're back on it for Q4. So I definitely think I'm going to take socialite era into Q1 to Q2 and then broaden it out and redefine it and they'll have there'll be a word for it i'm really into um like hedonism as a concept but also romanticism i really want the world to bring back romance not necessarily in like the you know dating yeah. context but romanticizing everything being like ah, oh, the sun is so lovely i love it <laughs> Yeah, I love that. It's like a positivity vibe, isn't it? Yeah. The romance of like every day, the romance of every day, right? The way that poets are able to just write about living in a way that is just so beautiful. Yeah. And you're like, I want to, I want to live that. Yeah. I think that'd be amazing. And I, I've been looking a little bit at your Instagram and you've been, there's some interesting moments on there. One <laughs> about 
a bidet rather than toilet roll. Yes. <laughs> and also about the right place to brush, <laughs> the right place to brush your teeth. Yeah. Um, and tell me a little bit, A, about both of those views, <laughs> but then tell us a little bit about where do you do your skincare and makeup and how, how is that kind of whole routine embedded into your creative day? Yes. So... A core part of my identity uh, or my brand, both, neither, whatever, is questioning and thinking. I feel like in a lot of ways, I never grew out of that toddler who's always asking like, why? Why do you do that? Why do we go there? Why do we think that? And I've just found a way to like (laughs) maturize it a little bit. Um, So I find myself, you know, like, Generally in my house, I keep a, a, I keep a quiet house, which means I'm with my thoughts a lot. Um, and I will just find myself thinking when I'm doing stuff. And so one day I went to the bathroom, I did a number two and I was like, this is weird. Why is the toilet paper dry? And I, I think what made me think about that is because my, um, I'm an auntie, so I have nephews, and I was looking at photos of them when they were younger and thinking about how, you know, it's so expensive to child rear and how, how like, babies live such a luxurious lifestyle. You're pampered, you use wet wipes constantly, like, you're moisturised, you're hydrated. And I was like, wait, why are we as adults not using some kind of moisture to wipe off the number two. And we don't use flushable wipes, everyone, because they clog the drain system. But I was like, this isn't right. It's not correct. So obviously I had to spread some bidet propaganda. But the thing is, I don't even have a bidet because you can't, you have to get them installed by a regular plumber. And in Sydney, I only rent my house. So I'm going to get one in my house in Hobart for sure. I actually want a Toto toilet, but they're $6,000. I can't. What is a Toto toilet? A Toto toilet, if you've been to Japan, they are the the standard toilet. They're electric. They have sounds and bidets and scents. They're the ones that have a hot hot sort of seat and they yeah they spray things and all sorts of jazzy stuff yeah but the bidet is like a is such a um I mean it's very French kind of old school I mean we used to have them in my house in my home in the UK which is such a weird thing Australia and hygiene is a very interesting topic I don't think anyone ever used it for that though (laughs) but it's (laughs) oh gosh um and yeah Brushing teeth as well. I think that, you know, hygiene maintenance needs to feel luxurious. Um, And there's nothing worse for me than leaning over a sink. Number one, sinks just aren't made for function. I I don't know, like the feeling of cleansing at a sink, there's water getting everywhere on the mirror, on the counter. It doesn't make any sense. Same with brushing the teeth. It's a messy activity. So I prefer to do it in the shower. Come to find out, very controversial. Very controversial. I don't know that we weren't all doing it. It makes the most Ah. sense to me. Because all the suds just kind of like roll away. And then you can get your skin warmed up. And by the time you finish brushing, it's time to scrub. Anyway, I do do my skincare at the sink. And it's good because I have a his and hers sink set up. So I can spread out. It's phenomenal. Uh. Um, But yeah, so... I, it's the same routine morning and night. So get up, brush my teeth, sh- uh, get up, shower, brush my teeth, come out, do my skincare at the sink. When I'm going to bed, it's go in the shower, brush my teeth, you know, do my shower, come out, do my skincare. And what is your skincare? What does it look like? Is it cleanse? Is it tone? Is it moisturizer? Is it serums? Is it SPF? Tell us a little bit. Yes, this is a great question. So I was definitely one of those people who did not have a skincare routine. Um until maybe about 
a year ago. My routine was I'm going to cleanse, I'm going to moisturize and use sunscreen and that was it. And then when I was in the shower, I'm going to scrub and use body wash. Maybe I'll exfoliate. That was it. And then I was like, oh, there's, there can be more to this. There can be more to this. And you've just like, you're the queen of for sort of reinvention, but you've also just done a big renovation. Um, you've bought a house in Hobart and renovated this, this place. Like, tell me a little bit about that. And, and you know, what, what took you to Hobart? Yes. So a friend of mine um, moved to Hobart a couple of years ago um, for a job. And this friend is what I describe as fundamentally a material girl, like a metropolitan, bougie <laughs> material girl who was going all the way to Hobart, which I'd never even like visualized in my life before to live and to work. And, you know, obviously our perception was that she was gonna be so out of her element because we're like, what are you doing? And so, but she went there and she, <laughs> and she maintained, she maintained being a loud, bright material girl, full face, like, uh, and, and made connections and was able to sort of show us this ability to, you know, seek out new experiences, new environments, um, seek out comfort, be really honest about, you know, the things we do and don't like about where we're living, to be honest about our pursuit of a quality of life that is for us now and in the future, and not just fueled by like the superficiality of like living as close to the city as possible. And so in the five years that she was there, she would invite me down, I would visit, and I was just so enamored because I've always been someone who's liked the allure of a quieter lifestyle only because I, you know, oversaturated yeah. my life with this you know I always say like DJing ruined parties for me I had to work at learning how to enjoy <laughs> a party again and so when she had lived there for a bit I was like this is really cool and I had been saving for a house since I started doing this and so I was tossing up between like where am I gonna buy something and being born and raised in Sydney I can only appreciate it as much as I can allow myself to and it's not a lot and I started thinking about you know my lifestyle today and how I've been able to kind of like build out this life that feels like a dream more often than not. And if I could push that further and seek out an environment that I could like build onto as opposed to, you know, fight the narrative. And so I remember being like, I'll just like, maybe I'll look in Hobart. Maybe I can do that because I knew that I'm preparing for the future. So I didn't have to rush and live there full time now, but I had to think like, what's best case scenario? I'm like, okay, maybe I could get like a, a house that's like kind of like semi-regional and it could have like a really big backyard and like maybe I'd have a chicken, like chicken coops and, and I'd renovate and like, well, and, and maybe I would like <laughs> just take out chicken. the doors and, and, ma and make it colorful. And suddenly I felt really empowered to, um, actually create a life that was for me and not uh, choose to stay somewhere because it looked good or it felt good. And so I have the same conversation all the time. Why Hobart? And I'm like, why not? <laughs> like, it's not about Hobart. It's about yeah. what I'm allowing myself to create when I get there. I'm really excited. <laughs> well, so what is it like? Is it super colorful? Is it like, is it a creative like you know sort of your mind in a building or is it minimalist and as your to your point super super simple and and quiet for the quiet life it's definitely refined maximalism i've i'm the kind of person i move to a new rental every year and i get out all of my ideas and because 
so much because of the houses that i've lived in have been for consumption right i've shared them on the internet they're kind of meant to be not just for me to experience but so i can film stuff in it so it looks good for eyeballs and that house is just for me so i was like well i like color but i do like serenity and i do like a sense of calm and quiet mm. so the first phase one reno is just allowing myself to understand what that process is trusting someone with my creative vision and seeing how we can meet in the middle because i'm not a tradesperson. i don't know how to put in my own tiles mm. and so you was like respectfully what does this cost what is the capability and how long does it take and so phase two is filling it and making it a home and then phase three is like giving it two three years to save and then having a a whole different vibe my dream for it is i really like um houses that feel earthly like i like Mm. stone and and creams and beiges and um like these textures that don't feel aesthetically me because i can't afford stone (laughs) but one day i will and i'm gonna live in a luxury cave like imagine kim kardashian's house with personality (laughs) and so you know you you've got all of these future plans and everything is like you know, flex mammy world, mm. um, flex mommy world, apologies, is just really exciting for you. What is what is next? What do you think what do you think could be next for you? Do you think you would have your own beauty palettes? Do you think you could have your own Isamaya French line of beauty? Would you would you go on a you know a reality TV show? Would you how would you do a, an album? Like what is it for you? Because I feel like your the world is your oyster and you can really take it in any way you want. And I'm just super super intrigued to see where you go next and can we have a sneak peek i feel strongly that i can do whatever i want and but that's not my issue currently it's after you know you can do whatever you want now my skill or like my priority is trying to be more discerning and doing what is going to feel good for me you know and so i'm like oh like maybe uh, like certain things that I thought would feel really good. I'm like, "Mm, that's just a job actually. So in the next phase, I'm doing a bit of a a re-correction. Maybe mm, it's a re-correction of some sort. And I'm treating work like work. So I'm giving myself one or two years to just work, not to, you know, like tame my insecurities of like more my feelings of unworthiness by overachieving and doing heaps of stuff. No! babes you're gonna do your job you're gonna clock (laughs) off you're gonna pick up your hobbies you're gonna enjoy and I think once I give myself one or two years just to do the things that I like I'll be in the right mind space to pick based on my own wants and needs not not based on what like the spectator in my mind thinks looks the coolest to do so who knows yeah I love that so it's like it's like flex mommy 2.0 yeah we have to like pull back to go forward because I already know I can keep going up and up and up but maybe up is not the destination and so to wrap us up I've got two questions for you first of all what is the soundtrack to your life and I imagine you've got a few here and also if you were a beauty product what would you be and why right now I'm gonna say happy by Jojo because like the survive I do feel happy and if I was a beauty product I would be a high shine lip gloss for sure for sure with some gold flex yeah gold flex for sh- definitely 
I think there is a there is a line here. Flex mommy, gold flex. You've got to have it. You've got to you've got to do your own your own line. Gold flex. Maybe that's your that's new era. Hot. It's the gold flex. That could be era. dessert as well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mine would be an eyeliner, like a really, really sort of like um easy to use black coal eyeliner. I feel like that is something that feels you can be sexy, you can be strong, you can be impactful, but you can use it and wear it every single day. And I feel like if that, if that was, if anything that I would be is all of those things, I would feel like easy to use and ready to go and just, but still have impact. That's so hot. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm so excited about the Gold Flex era. Me too. Um, I feel like we've we, we've got the brand down pat. Literally. Um, and your new line of beauty products, <laughs> soon to be available at Mecca. Literally. Um, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Lil Flex, you are a rock star. Um, we've loved having you on the podcast today on Mecca Talks and just love your energy and love your vibe and love that creative vision that you have. And I think everybody needs a bit of that in their life. Thank you. This was so great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mecca Talks. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be notified as soon as our next episode becomes available. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this episode with your friends. And I'm on the roll.